If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. A warm and friendly hello. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas. We're Ghost Ghost with myself, Greg Eats and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast and got a sizzler of a podcast today. It's in the second segment. Terrence Oglesby does a terrific job over there with the field of 68. Also a gentleman that used to play the game himself over there at Clemson. We're going to ask him about how in the world we wind up getting three ACC teams into the Elite Eight after there were some people calling for the ACC being a one-bid league for the NCAA tournament. Now I think we can all agree that was pretty extreme, but also I think we can all agree not many people had three teams from the ACC into the Elite Eight. So we'll get his insight there. We'll preview both of the games for the Elite and also take a look at just some of the crazy scenarios we might wind up having with regards to the Final Four as well and just how St. Peter's has been able to build momentum, get a little bit of a player's perspective as to everything that we've been seeing in the NCAA tournament. So that's going to be a great chat in the second segment. Then in the final segment, we've got two Elite Eight games. Going to give you guys my side and total on both of those as we hit some bank shots. First things first, always do love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. If you've got one or two ways, we will fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep Mind letter CM. Maybe does not matter. So, as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. I've had a lot of you guys asking me if I'm going to be doing my normal look in the offseason with regards to all these coaching moves, the transfer portal, and absolutely, once the season winds up winding down, once the nets are cut down, my work is not done. That means that I'm going to be on to next season. Hopefully, Kansas is a team that winds up winning the national championship because I've got them in my bracket. If they don't, well, I'm going to be moving on, trying to pick next year's winner, trying to do my best to get every one of those sides and totals correct, and it all begins in the offseason, so have no fear there. We're going to be going through all that during the offseason, and really throughout the week this week as well, because after these Elite Eight games, we're going to have a break between the Final Four. We'll have a couple games in the NIT and the Basketball Classic along the way, but a lot of looks into next season as well. So we've got you guys going all 365 days this season with regards to college basketball, if there's a leap year, I don't think this year is a leap year. It would be 366. So have no fear. This podcast turns down for absolutely nobody and neither does Villanova. Let's take a look at everything that we wound up getting in college basketball on Saturday and try to get to know these teams a little bit better, including the two teams that are now on to the Final Four. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Villanova does it once again. They take down Houston by a count of... 
50 to 44. And you take a look at this Villanova team, and they have been absolutely tremendous on defense. This is how a bunch has allowed 66 points or fewer in each out of their last six contests. This was a but ugly game, and I did have my fear with Houston that their metrics, though very good, they wanted coming against a little bit of worse competition, and to their credit, they backed it up with wins against Illinois versus Arizona, but can't go 1-20 from three-point range and expect to win really any game. Tase Moore wanted to take it 21 shots. He had 15 points, 10 rebounds. He just can't wind up having that. Houston, they shoot 9-14 at the free throw line. Villanova, 15-15 of 15 at the free throw line. Free throw shooting is big this time of year. Villanova, they did not miss at the free throw line. That was key in this game. You wound up having Jermaine Samuels give you 16 points, 10 rebounds. As Villanova only lost the rebound battle 39-38. to Going up against a dominant rebounding team in Houston. That's very, very good. A lot of people have been questioning how Villanova is going to be able to deal with size. Guys inside that are very dominant. And they did a solid job in this one. Both teams wanted to commit 10 turnovers. But Villanova has been able to turn over a new leaf on defense. They have been playing darn near everything under the total. Really aside from that Delaware game ever since the beginning of the Big East tournament. Another under hits for Villanova and they wind up cashing on the money line as an underdog. We'll get to Arkansas versus Duke in a second but he also had a basketball classic game in which wound up very comfortably going under the total at Southern Utah. How about these guys? They wind up covering another spread. 77 to 66. The final a team that has been able to cover out of their last five games four of them so maybe they able to do a solid job with that regard the Idaho State game. They also wound up covering that one so actually six out of their last seven games and for Southern Utah they wind up being able to shoot 54% from the floor. They're going to be taking on Fresno State in the semifinal of the Basketball Classic. 10-26 from three-point range. They've been without Tavion Jones throughout this run, one of their best scorers, but they were able to do a solid job on the glass, winning that battle 35-25. to And quick little shout-out here to Portland, a team that wound up going 7-70 and in the last five years in conference play under Terry Porter. First year under Shante Leggins, 7-7 seven and seven out there in the West Coast Conference. So, you give them some credit. Portland was able to make you some nice coin up in tell this game. And he just couldn't wind up hitting much from three-point range. Six of 18 from distance. Southern Utah, 10 of 26 with John Knight III being able to give you 20 points. And Jason Spurgeon, 16 rebounds. He did wind up having six turnovers, but Southern Utah they get the job done and you wind up getting a comfortable under there. And then this under winds up getting there and it wasn't as comfortable as Duke. They're on to the final four in the last ride of Coach K as they're able to dispatch Arkansas. I was on Arkansas and well it did not wind up getting there. That was a 78-69 final. Many people that wound up having the under should have been very, very happy. I was on the under, and, well, you wound up having Arkansas have a very weird sequence at the end of that game. They wind up being able to get a bucket with right around 45 or so seconds remaining. Down 9 with 45 seconds left, obviously. Win probability, not great for Arkansas, but typically you wind up seeing a fellow there. You did not wind up getting that in for Duke. And they just shot it well from the floor. They shot 54.7% from the field, 16 of 18 at the free throw line. Mark Williams, 12 points, 12 boards, 3 blocks. He's really been one of the best players in the NCAA tournament, in my opinion. If you're looking at guys that might be worth a long shot at most outstanding player of the NCAA tournament, I think that he's actually worth a little bit of a shot. You had Trevor Keels look a little bit better in this game as well with 9 points. And for Arkansas, they shot a sizzler of 11 of 11 at the free throw line. Problem is, they also wound up having J.D. Note go 5 of 14 from the floor for 14 points. They needed him to be a little bit more efficient. 6 of 20 from three-point range is what Arkansas wound up shooting as well. And for Duke, they did wind up committing 15 turnovers in this game, but won the rebound battle by a count of 34 to 25. And for Arkansas, just a case of which they did wind up settling for a couple too many bad shots and weren't able to take advantage of being able to get a couple open looks from three-point range as Jalen Williams did have an 18-point 
points, 10 rebounds. If you're looking for a big trend in the NCAA tournament right now, since the beginning of the Sweet 16, we've seen one over. Nine unders to one over since the beginning of the Sweet 16 with all but one of the first halves going under as well. The lone exception was this Duke versus Arkansas game. And if you're taking a look at things in college basketball as well, the last time a team of more than five points as a favorite has been able to cover a game in the NCAA tournament, you have to go all the way back to when Duke wound up being able to dispatch Michigan State. As a matter of fact, I think that even in these NIT games, these games that have been out there in the CBI were a little bit different, but even the NIT games of the college basketball classic games, I don't think that you've had a favorite of more than five points being able to cover ever since then. So it has been very fascinating to take a look at everything that we've been getting in college basketball in general these last few weeks. And let's talk with our good friend Terrence Oglesby of the Field of 68 as to how we have three teams from the ACC among the final six still remaining, what we've all been seeing with regards to the NCAA tournament, and preview the two games that we're going to get on Sunday. That's up next right here on Coast Coast Hoops with myself, Craig Gabe Spearson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. We're back in lovely Las Vegas for Coast Coast Soups with myself, Greg Spears, and now a part of the Veasan Family Podcast. And it's great to be joined by our guest, as Terrence Oglesby does absolutely terrific work. He is a college basketball analyst over there at the Field of 68. And if I'm seeing and hearing this correctly, he's going to be down in New Orleans for the Final Four. So that's going to be terrific. And he's a man that, in his own right, was very good when he was playing college basketball. Sharpshooter for the Clemson Tigers. Now he's just giving out sharp takes. When it comes to college basketball, and you are able to follow my Twitter at Coach T.O. and then the number 22. And Terrence, it is great to have you aboard. Thank you. Man, thank you, Greg. It's always a pleasure to be a part, man. I'm happy we're ducking this out so we can get to watch some great games today, man. I'm really excited. And of course... My conference is doing really well. I'm excited to talk to you about that as well. Yes, we are doing this ahead of the Duke versus Arkansas game. And as we are recording this right now, three teams from the ACC have gotten into the Elite Eight. And I don't think anyone saw this coming, even the biggest fans of the ACC, just a couple mere weeks ago. I mean, there was talk of the ACC being a one-big conference, which I think we both agree. That was very much to the extreme, but... I mean, how surprising has it been? Because, I mean, Duke getting to this point, I don't think was much of a shock. The way that North Carolina has been able to shape up these last few weeks after that loss at Pittsburgh in February, though, I think is one of the better coaching jobs in all of college basketball that has been done by Hubert Davis. I'm absolutely on board. And it's not just Hubert Davis. It's been RJ Davis. And he has been terrific. And you got to give Hubert credit here. Caleb Love has been very up and down. He's a score first guy. He's not going to make his teammates better. But what he can do is he can score in bunches. And he showed that he can be terrific in stretches. It's just, is that consistency going to be enough to carry your team? And they found out, well, no, it's not. So what do you do? You put the ball in R.J. Davis's hands and you let him go to work. Ty Lawson was extremely quick. He was somebody I had the opportunity to play against when he was playing at the University of North Carolina. R.J. Davis isn't the same stocky build as Ty Lawson, but I'd venture to guess he's every bit as quick. And he gets into the lane. It is decision-making time, and he has been terrific. When he's hitting shots like he has been this tournament, I don't know how you guard him. The young man has really come along, and you hope he's going to stay in a Tar Heel uniform for a couple more years. I would imagine that he would because size-wise, he doesn't really measure up to some NBA measurables that a lot of people look at going forward. But he is going to be a top three or four point guard in the nation next year. You can go ahead and stamp it. 
He is that good. And Hubert's ability to say, hey, we're going to put the ball in his hands and we're going to let him rock because we've got shooters around him. Caleb Love turned into a little bit more of a catch-and-shoot guy. Brady Maddock has benefited greatly from Davis being able to get wherever he wants and draw the help. And Manic has played really well, too. But a lot of that's the result of Hubert Davis's decision to go to RJ with the ball in his hands a lot more. This ACC conference, it's a conference that relied on a lot of transfers. It's a conference that relies on a lot of freshmen. We know that. Big wings, big forwards with skill. That is the ACC. It's interesting to see, as time went on, that the league did get better. But the league, you develop your reputation, and you know this, Greg, you develop your reputation as a league in November, December. The conference wasn't ready for that because of their reliance on new players. Now you're seeing the benefit of it. ACC is significantly better towards the end than they were at the beginning, and now you're seeing the results. It's been fantastic all the way around. Yeah, it's been absolutely amazing to take a look at the way that North Carolina's been able to shape up, and then you've got Miami as well. It's going to be battling it out against Kansas City. Charlie Moore revenge game as he used to be at Kansas. It's not something that I ever thought we'd be taking a look at, but when it comes to Miami, no question, they've got one of the best coaches at all of college basketball, Jim Laranaga, a team that has been up and down with regards to their defense. I think that that's very fair to say, but they've been playing their best defense here down the stretch. What have you seen out of Miami that has been a lot, that has been able to allow them to be able to get to this spot? Because they have played three teams that play vastly different styles in USC, Auburn, and then they wound up taking down Iowa State in the Sweet 16, and they've overcome all three of those tests. It's a team that can score a lot individually and in isolation situations. And when you have a guy like Isaiah Wong who can hit tough shots, and in the tournament you have to hit tough shots, he can extend over the top and he can get a lead out on you. And that's not even talking about Cam Augusti or Charlie Moore, who you mentioned. Those three guards, all three of them can create looks on their own. And that's something whenever you play these high defensive rated teams like an Iowa State or like a Auburn who really thrive defensively. Well, they thrive as team defenses because what happens is they rotate extremely well. Well, against Miami, you kind of all throw that to the wind because of their individual scoring and how they score. And it works in the NCAA tournament because Larry Nega, he puts his guys in position and then he's got dudes that can make shots. And defensively for Miami, they flourished in this tournament for a couple of reasons. Their metrics aren't great throughout the course of the season, but what they do, as well as anybody in the country, I don't have the Kim Palm numbers right in front of me, but they're in the top 15 in steals. And those are live ball turnovers. And whenever you get those live ball turnovers and you're able to get out and transition like that, you're adding 8 to 12 points a game. You're stealing those points per game right off the top because of their peskiness on the defensive end. This Miami team, they stretch you out. Sam Wardenberg, the center, 6'10", from New Zealand, is an underrated piece there because he can stretch the floor, he can knock down shots. And whenever you have guards with Miami's quickness who can get downhill and get all the way to the rim and finish some of these tough shots without having to worry about opposing five men getting up and blocking them, that's a recipe for disaster for opponents, there is a very real shot that Miami could beat the Kansas Jayhawks. I don't have it picked, but at the same time, because of how they score, you take away their you take away their team defense, and you have to guard individually against this Hurricanes team. They can take off in a hurry. Yeah, I think it's going to be really fascinating to see what we wind up getting there because as of right now, I do think that the team that, in my opinion, is going to win the NCAA tournament is Kansas. But I take a look at the spread out here in Vegas, 6-6-F, six six Kansas being a favorite. And I do think that that's a little bit too lofty because I do think that Miami is going to be able to play really tough. And the one thing that I love about Miami, and it's been a constant with them all season long, is we do have Terrence Oglesby joining me on the podcast, is the fact that they're able to generate steals. We were mentioning it, not necessarily the world's greatest team in the world, but they do a great job of being able to turn defense into offense. I think that that is so 
key. Even though you wind up giving up a couple buckets, if you're able to utilize your defense to be able to get buckets on the offensive end, I think that that's a big elixir to maybe giving up a couple more open looks than other teams. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And you got to keep in mind too, Greg, I, I agree with you 100%. But what I do think is, is during the NCAA tournament, the refs swallow their whistles. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the officiating. And hey, guys, look, here's my thing with officiating. They're under a lot of pressure too. A lot of these referees have never worked with each other that are getting these assignments. It makes for a bit of a difficult situation for them as well. But here's the deal. If you are able to play with your hands a lot more, that's been the case in this tournament. Miami's going to thrive at a higher level because they can pressure the ball. So to go along with what you're saying, they get out, they get steals, they get in transition. Those guards can score. It makes it difficult for other teams. It certainly does. I think that that's going to be an incredible game that we're going to be seeing on Sunday. And then we were talking a little bit earlier about North Carolina. And, well, this is something that I never thought I would have to evaluate or handicap in my life. The good old 8-15 matchup to go to the Final Four is you've got the Peacocks of St. Peter's, which to call them not necessarily the most rich college basketball school in terms of history in the world would be fair. And to call UNC one of the most rich college basketball schools in the world, that would be fair. I mean, this is just so fascinating because you've got a St. Peter's team, which if you're someone that you take a look at momentum, I don't know if there's any team that ranks higher on the momentum list in the history of forever than St. Peter's. Meanwhile, you've got a North Carolina team that their forte really has been shooting the ball. You mentioned it with Caleb Love, a guy that's going to be a little bit up and down. And the one thing that St. Peter's does an absolutely superb job of is being able to guard the three-point arc. We've seen it all tournament long. I think that North Carolina is going to be able to get the job done here. I could wind up seeing a single-digit game, though. I, it's just one of these things of which I feel like you really do have to throw away a lot of the regular season numbers on both sides because North Carolina is completely different than the team that wound up losing to Pittsburgh just a month ago. And this is certainly not the St. Peter's team that wound up getting swept by the good old Sienna Saints earlier in the season as well. This is just one of these games in which I think that it's going to come down a lot to want. I think that it's going to come down to which coach is able to scheme something up a little bit better. Obviously, North Carolina going to have the better athletes in this spot, but that did not matter when St. Peter's wound up playing against Purdue. Just one of the most interesting games ever to be able to evaluate. It's unbelievable, really, because St. Peter's is arriving all on momentum. And you mentioned the richest programs as far as tradition. You want to talk about not necessarily the case for St. Peter's, probably the one of the poorer programs as far as fiscally speaking in the country. I think operating budget for the entire season, coaching staff pay, travel, food, everything is right at $1.8 million. And that sounds like a lot of money to some people. That is nothing compared to a lot of other schools. I think Kentucky, their first-round opponent that they beat, I think their operating budget for the entire season is around $18.5 million. Think about that for a second. You're taking the train to games. You're trying to figure out ways for all this stuff to work out. It's going to be interesting to see how they continue to proceed and what kind of benefits that St. Peter's sees from this run long-term. But here's what worries me about St. Peter's and playing North Carolina. And I haven't picked St. Peter's in a game all year, and that worries me too. But a lot of the things that St. Peter's – a lot of the things that St. Peter's ran against Purdue, they're going to be able to run a lot of the same sets against North Carolina because Armando Baycott's fairly uncomfortable guarding out on the perimeter. And you look, they attacked Zach Eady. They turned Purdue's strength into their weakness. They turned their size into a liability. I'm nervous that St. Peter's can do that against North Carolina too with Baycott in the lineup because in order to take care of the defensive glass, Baycott's got to be in there. 
Now, what I will say is this. Since the tournament started, the St. Peter's Peacocks and the Fighting Shaheen Holloways have won every 50-50 ball. I don't think that's going to be the case. Armando Baycott thrives on getting that 50-50 ball. Leaky Black thrives on getting that 50-50 ball. That's going to be a game changer. That eight and a half point spread. I mean, who in the I'm sitting here looking at ESPN. I'm not exactly sure which lines you're looking at. I can't remember what you said. It's between eight and eight and a half, yeah. I just feel bad betting against St. Peter's at this point. The further they go along, the closer the spreads get. So a lot of people are starting to buy in. So this is a St. Peter's team. They can shoot the ball. They have some of the best guards in the tournament. And there are dudes everywhere. I mean, it doesn't matter what level of college basketball. The difference between ACC basketball and the MAC has got to be three inches in height and about 25, 30 pounds. I mean, that's what we're looking at. There are guys that can play. St. Peter's is proving that. And they've gotten hot right at the right time. It's been fantastic to watch. I mean, when it comes to St. Peter's, they've got a guy that looks like he should be playing the role of Michael Sarah's super bad role, only he's got a mustache and Doug Eater, too, has been absolutely incredible this NCAA tournament. St. Peter's, in their first game against Kentucky, was an 18-point underdog, so pretty much what they're saying is that North Carolina is 10 points worse than Kentucky was at the beginning of the NCAA tournament, and as we know, North Carolina, they have done a great job of being able to back things up. It shows you just how wild things have been in general with regards to things. And I'm right now having a very tough time bringing myself to betting against St. Peter's myself. I don't think that they're going to be able to get to the final four, but wouldn't that be something? Because we don't know what the outcome of Arkansas versus Duke is, but imagine Coach K's final ride. He winds up going to the final four and in the final four, he's taking on St. Peter's. I mean, who would have seen that coming? And if St. Peter's winds up being the team that ends Coach K's career, who would have ever wrote that? Oh, unbelievable. There's no other way to write it. The uncertainty of this season coming in with so many extra players, it makes for such a wonderful story. Now, this Duke, North Carolina, if that were to happen, I mean, what kind of redemption story would that be? That would be one of the most amazing stories that you could even think up for his last season and however long he's been at Duke, 40-something-odd years. But it's amazing, really, what St. Peter's has been able to accomplish. I feel like I've said this every game for them coming in. There's just no way for that to happen. But there's certainly a way because they keep proving us all wrong. Uh, The St. Peter's Peacocks, who wound up losing the season series to Siena, a team that earlier in the season lost by double digits on their home floor to St. Francis of Brooklyn, finds themselves in the Elite Eight. The joys of March. And Terrence, I know you're doing a great job of looking at everything that we're getting here in the NCAA tournament. But on top of that, I know you're going to be doing a great job taking a look at these teams in the offseason. I still remember your offseason write-ups were just absolutely amazing on all of these teams. I know that you're certainly keeping an eye on all these power jobs that have become available and have been filled for the most part with regards to a lot of these vacancies as well. So it's going to cause for a massive shift shift next season in college basketball so let the good people at home know what you're all going to be working on the next few weeks and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms at coach do 22 on twitter i will be down in new orleans with the field of 68 we're going to be doing live shows pretty much the entire time we're down there i'm really really excited about that opportunity and then we're going to you know just continue the dialogue through the offseason obviously all the coaching changes are up in the air and that's going to be interesting to see what all happens but moving forward into the offseason i will be on the aau circuit i'll be taking care of uh, my homework on that end because it's always good to see these kids before they get to school so i'm going to be doing that and then coming up into next season a lot of the same and then hopefully some opportunities pop up here and there greg but i just continue to work my butt off i'll be doing some preseason previews in what manner shape or form i'm going to be doing that it's still up in the air but in order to keep up 
at Coach TO22. Make sure you hit that follow button and we can go back and forth. Really enjoy talking hoops. Absolutely. And Terrence did a great job during the offseason with regards to those previews as well. They, those were some of the best that you're going to find anywhere out there. He does absolutely amazing work. Just taking a look at the game of basketball, a guy that has played it, a guy that knows the grind that these guys wind up going through throughout the offseason as well because I mean, we all love the games that we wind up seeing in February, March, into April when it comes to the Final Four, but it all winds up getting built up at the beginning in these non-conference games in the summertime with all these workouts. And our man Terrence has lived that life. A guy that just knows all the ins and outs, has done a little bit of coaching himself, and it's always great to get his insights on the podcast. So big thanks to Terrence for joining me right here on Coast Coast Soups, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And coming up next, we've got a pair of Elite Eight games that will decide our final two teams in the final four. So I'm going to give you guys picks and analysis on both of those games next as we hit some bank shots. Las Vegas for Coast Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Eames and now a part of the Beeson family of podcasts, and it is a pleasure always to be able to get Terrence Oglesby on the podcast, a guy that used to play the game himself. He brings absolutely tremendous insights. was great to be able to see how the ACC has been able to get three teams into the Elite Eight. He's a guy that just studies the game, a guy that has played it, so he knows both the media side of it, he knows the player side of it, so always tremendous to be able to get his insights on the podcast. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on both games that we're going to be seeing on Sunday in the Elite Eight as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GUnit underscore 81. We're going to be going with the late game first. That'd be St. Peter's versus North Carolina. Then from there, we're going with Kansas versus Miami and Miami versus Kansas is going to have the DK Nation pick, so that is going to be up last, and we go 643-644 here first. St. Peter's in North Carolina. You haven't seen a lot of places find themselves an 8.5 point favorite, seeing a couple straight 8s out there, but mostly seeing 8.5. Totals anywhere between 137 and 137.5. Now, I did set my total at 137. I can tell you right now, we have seen the total go up. I'm targeting a 137.5 or more under because, well, we've just been seeing it in the NCAA tournament going into the Duke versus Arkansas game. 8 out of last Nine games in this tournament have wound up going under the total and got a St. Peter's team that ranks in the top 20 in all of college basketball because points a lot on a per possession basis. With North Carolina, the defense was a little bit of a tragedy against Baylor towards the back half of that game. A little bit of that is because he did wind up having Brady Manick get ejected, but they've been able to do a little bit of a better job on that side of things, but I think St. Peter's stays live in this game. I just never thought I'd be evaluating an 8 versus 15 matchup in the Elite 8. This is something that is very unique, but and if you're looking at it, teams in the second weekend of the NCAA tournament that are 15-seed or greater, they are 3-0 against the spread, so I guess that you could use that with regards to trend spotting. I don't put anything into that, but you just take a look at the St. Peter's team. Casey Undefu last year led all of college basketball in terms of block shots per game, and he wound up falling out in that game against Purdue, but even though St. Peter's was the smaller team, they did a very good job of being able to force Purdue's size to be a liability. You wind up having Zach Eady turn into Mr. Hands of Stone. So Armando Bacota, I think, is going to be able to do a better job in this game. 
16.5 points, 12.5 boards per game, but I think St. Peter's is going to do a good job with their defense, and it's a team that they shut down the three-point arc. North Carolina, one of your best teams with regards to three-point shooting in all of college basketball. St. Peter's, they are in the top 20 with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. Opponents are shooting sub-30% against them, and the reason why North Carolina got to this point is that Caleb Love went bonkers in that game against UCLA. I don't know if he's going to be able to do the same overall for the year. UNC shooting right around 36.5% from three-point range, so they've been tell with that regard, but what has been a liability for this team all season long has been turnovers. Right around 14 turnovers per contest. You take a look at North Carolina. Out of 358 D1 teams in a road and neutral court environment, they are in the bottom five in all of college basketball at being able to force turnovers. So that means that what St. Peter's does really badly, North Carolina is going to be unable to exploit, and I think that that's going to be very big in this game. And St. Peter's all of a sudden has been able to shoot free throws. Overall for the year, they shoot 69% of the charity stripe. In that last game against Purdue, they went 19 of 21 at the free throw line. Guys like Doug Eder, Daryl Banks the third. they've been able to hit their free throws. They've been the guys that have been taking a lot of these free throws. And with North Carolina as well, their three-point shooting does dip a little bit away from home. They shoot 39% from three in Chapel Hill. In a road and neutral court environment, they've been shooting more like 34% from three. And I think that St. Peter's is going to force enough outside shots to be able to stay alive. This is a St. Peter's emotional hole is greater than some of its parts. I mentioned Eder, 10 points per game. Shoots right around 42% from three, 88% of the free throw line. As a matter of fact, for St. Peters out of your top six scores. Four of them shoot at least 73.7% at the free throw line. You've got Fusani and Asandrame. These guys combined to be able to give you right around 11.8 rebounds per game. Daryl Banks the third main score with 11.5 points per game. So you don't necessarily have that one headline guy, but they just do such a good job with their team defense. They force seven and a half seals per game. And then for North Carolina, I think that not enough has been said about Brady Manick and the job that he's been able to do. Ever since I lost against Pittsburgh, the guy is averaging right around 18 points per contest. You take a look at his last five games, he's had at least 13 points at all but one of them, 21 plus points in three of them, a guy that is bearing overall for the year 39% of his threes on the road. That doesn't take any sort of a dip whatsoever. At six foot nine, that's going to be a little bit of a hard guard here for St. Peter's, but I do think that they're going to be able to do a solid job against the likes of Caleb Love, RJ Davis, who's been able to give you 13 and a half points, three and a half assists. Both of these guys in Love and Davis shoot over 80% of the free throw line, 38% from three, but I don't think that St. Peter's is going to put North Carolina on the free throw line cheaply. North Carolina, a team that has been able to do a solid job of not fouling too much themselves. I think that this is going to be a little bit more of a grind them out style game. I think that St. Peter's forces things to the outside that keeps them live in this game. Somebody told at 137. At 137 exactly, I'd be taking a look at the under. I'm right now targeting the 137 and a half that we've been seeing coming onto the board. And with St. Peter's made them an eight point dog, I'm looking at an eight and a half personally. If you have eight exactly, I would take the points before laying the points. And we wrap things up with 645, 646. Kansas and Miami. And this is going to be the DK Nation pick. Miami's finding themselves a six-point underdog. Seeing a couple straight five and a half out there as well. Totals anywhere between 147 and 147.5. Wrote up for DK Nation the total. I'm looking at the under. With Kansas, this is a team that all of a sudden has been able to play significantly better on defense. You take a look at them and they're cutting teams off from three-point range and that's really been the lifeblood of Miami's offense. You take a look at this Miami Hurricanes team and they've got a bunch of guys that are able to do a solid job of being able to stroke it from three-point range like Charlie Moore. You've got a little bit more mid-range game with Isaiah Wong. He only shoots right around 30 to 30 31% from three-point range, but Cam McGussie certainly, and you just take a look at this Kansas team. They have a lot of opponents to shoot 
29.7% from three-point range in their last 13 contests. Hurricanes, they're shooting 13 of 55 from three-point range here in the NCAA tournament, and that's with them being able to bury nine threes in that game against Iowa State. Kansas has allowed 68 points or fewer in seven of their last eight games, and they do have the ultimate X factor out there in Remy Martin. I feel like he's really done a good job of being able to help out this team's defense, and you just take a look at his scoring progression, and it's been absolutely insane for Kansas. A Kansas team that legitimately hasn't necessarily been as great on offense recently, but just take a look at what Remy Martin has been able to do, and he is the ultimate X factor, in my opinion, in the NCAA tournament. He had zero points against TCU on the 3rd of March, and then from there, two points against Texas, four points against West Virginia, the rematch against TCU, 10 points, and then 12 against Texas Tech, 15 against Texas Southern, 20 against Creighton, 23 against Providence. He has really taken hold of the offense, three plus assists in each out of the last five contests, with a combined four turnovers in those games. He's been playing very efficiently, and we were talking about it with Terrence Oglesby, Miami, with regards to steals, force on a per-possession basis. They're in the top 10 in all of college basketball. They're going to be able to generate a couple swipes. Kansas is a team that sometimes they get a little bit loose with it. Now, Kansas can have a nice advantage down low. Jalen Wilson, David McCormick, they combined to be able to give you 14 and a half rebounds per game. Miami has one guy that can say will give you more than five rebounds per game. That'd be Justin Miller. A good Swiss Army knife guy, 10 and a half points, six rebounds. Doesn't shoot it well from three-point range, but is able to do a good job with his defense at Miami. They keep it clean. They're in the top 10 in all of college basketball. The guys view his turnovers on a per-game basis. Sam Wardenberg is a guy with size right around six foot 10-ish, shooting 42% from three-point range. I do think that it's going to be a little bit too much for Miami to overcome with regards to being able to get to the Final Four, but I do think that things are going to be tight. I take a look at Kansas having one of the best on-ball defenders in all of college basketball, O'Shea Obaji. 19 points, 5 rebounds. He has been held down a little bit more in recent games, especially with Remy Martin taking a little bit more hold with regards to scoring. You take a look at Obaji. 16 points or fewer in each out of the last four games, but he's been able to do a great job on defense. I think that he and Charlie Moore are going to be able to defend very well against each other. Christian Braun is a Swiss Army knife guy for Kansas. 14.5 points, 6.5 boards, 39% 3-point shooter. I think that Kansas has a little bit more down low, which is going to allow them to be able to get the job done because Miami, 331st in the country with regards to missed shots that result in an offensive rebound. They get a second chance at just 18.7% of their misses. And Kansas, they've been inducing a lot of misses. And you've got a Miami team that they don't necessarily play fast. 226th in the country with regards to possessions per game. I think that this total is set a little bit too high. DK Nation pick here is going to be the under. When I wound up writing this up, it was at 148. We've seen a little bit of dip, but I set it at a 146. So we're still comfortable there. With Kansas, I think that they're going to get to the final four. I think the line is a little bit too lofty. Set my line at five, so I'm going to be taking five and a half plus here with Miami, and the DK Nation pick is going to be on the total with the under, and that will wrap things up for the Sunday edition of Coast to Coast Soup. Now part of the Beeson family podcast. Big thanks to Terrence Oglesby for joining me in the last segment. Doing great work over there at the field of 68. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, one two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM. The mean does not matter, so as per usual, please just send these into the timeline and the other ways find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season and into the offseason as well, and that means I'll be coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.